Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. If we have not met, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors on staff and uh, really thrilled to, uh, to be with you and to get to open God's word. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, man, I've loved this series and really excited. Next week, Pastor Brian will be back preaching, but you're stuck with me today, so woohoo, woo-hoo someone's excited. <laughs> Love it. Encouraged, feel uplifted. Uh, let me read the passage, and then we'll, we'll dive into what God has for us this morning. So Philippians chapter two, we're gonna read verses one through five. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is an incredible passage, uh, picking uh, off of what Pastor Greg did uh, last week. Anyone here last week? Pastor Greg preached an amazing, yeah, come on. <laughs> illustrations. I don't have any illustrations, so you're just gonna have to use your imagination with me. But what I love is Paul starts this off with so, or you could read it as therefore. So we have to, a good, a good habit when you're reading the Bible is if there's a so or a therefore, uh, a habit in reading is what's the therefore, therefore. Uh, and so it's important, Paul's pointing back to what he's just done, what he's just said. And he's really going back to verse 27. And verse 27 says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your life be worthy only, the manner of life of God in Christ Jesus. This, this idea of manner of life literally translates into the idea of citizenship. And Paul is hammering home this idea of being a citizen. Because we know in weeks leading up to this and the history behind the book of Philippians, this church in the city of Philippi is made up of Roman citizens. And to be a citizen of Rome is to be a, it's a big deal in first century, right? Rome is the biggest empire. It is the most powerful empire. It is, so to have this citizenship is a significant thing. It's a lot of like being an American. It's a significant thing to be a citizen of the United States. It's a significant thing to be a citizen of Rome. But Paul is laying in this like, let your life 
the manner of your life, your citizenship, be worthy of the gospel of Jesus, not of your state that you are in or the country or where you give allegiance. So he's leaning into this idea. This is who you've been called to be. This is who you've been called into. And so then he gets into Philippians 2. This idea of transferring your citizenship from Rome to heaven or for us from America to heaven. Paul's challenging their allegiance. Which really, if we're honest, kind of hits home, right? There's something to be said about being, and I love the United States. I think we're the greatest country. But man, if we're not careful as believers, if our allegiance is first and foremost to the USA and not to Christ, we've missed this. And that might not be the popular thing to say, but it's what scripture's called us to. I'm not saying like to forsake what we have in our country. I'm thankful for it. God has given us so much here. But my life and your life in Christ has been called to only the manner of the gospel, first and foremost. J.T. English says this, kingdom citizens live in humble imitation of Jesus by cross-shaped lives. Kingdom citizens those that have been called into the kingdom of God live in humble imitation of Jesus by a cross-shaped life. And this is what the Apostle Paul in this chapter is trying to point us to. What I love about it is this, because really you could read, if you look at Philippians 2 with me, you could read it as so, and then drop down to two, have the same mind. But what I love about Paul is he is a mastermind on how to lead people towards Jesus and do what God has called them to do, to walk in obedience, right? So he, he throws out these rhetorical questions. Because you know, like if you have kids, right? The easiest, the best way to get your kids to do something is to tell them the motivation behind why they should do it, right? Like if you want them to clean their room, Maybe it's not the motive. Maybe it's a bribe, <laughs> right? We've all been there. Like it's summer, it's exhausting. And you're just like, listen, I don't care. You can have all the ice cream in the world if you just pick up those toys. Just me? Brian, have you had this? You have an, <laughs> you have an army. But there's something to be said about why we, when we give the motivation behind why we're trying to do something. So Paul says these rhetorical questions. If there's any encouragement in Christ, well, of course there's encouragement in Christ. Christ became our sin, who knew no sin, that we could become the righteousness of God. Of course he's encouragement. He meets us in our lowest, darkest places. Of course he's an encouragement. Is there any comfort from love? Well, absolutely, the most comforting thing in the world is to be loved. No one who's truly been loved doesn't feel comfort. So of course there's comfort from love. Is there any participation in the spirit? Of course. This is why the church is exploding in this time because the same spirit that lives in Paul lives in you and lives in me. Think about that for a second. 
Paul is not some special human being that got more Holy Spirit than you and I have been given. But, but if we're honest, we operate and act that way. We, we almost make it as these levels of like, there's elite Christians, there's JV Christians, and then there's whatever these Christians are down here. Oh, we laugh, but this is reality. Is there any affection and sympathy? Affection, literally, uh, in the King James, I think it says bowels, like the deepest part of who you are and the gut of who you are, the affection you have. It's the same word that's used in, in uh, Romans 10 when it talks about if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart in the deepest part of who you are. Well, this is true because this is what Christ has done. See, Paul's giving this encouragement, this reminder of who Jesus is before he ever asked them to do something. He's given this beautiful thing in chapter one of this is what Jesus has done, this is my prayer for you, this beauty of what's going on. This is where I'm at, like Jared a few weeks ago, to live as Christ and to die as gain. What an incredible idea and difficult thing that is to live. And then Paul leans into this. See, he's not asking them to do something with no motivation. And you have not been called to live a life of obedience and surrender to Christ without a motivation behind why you should do it. God hasn't blindly said, follow me. He's shown you how to follow him and why you should follow him. John Piper says this behind this, it's encouraging realities before any command. This is a, like, think about it. Paul's talking about being imprisoned currently when he writes this, been beaten for the faith, persecuted because of his belief in Jesus, and he's encouraging them why they should keep going. Francis Chan says this, if all you ever do is tell people what they're supposed to be doing, then they get burned out. Remind people of the blessings while giving them the imperatives or the what to do. Listen, if all we ever hear is do this, don't do that, be this, don't be this, that's exhausting. And in a world and in a faith that the enemy hates and wants to destroy, when it's just do this and don't do this, be this and don't be this, you will never walk fully in obedience because it's easier not to. But if you remember and remind, like we just sang, remind my soul, this is who you are. Like you're gonna need this tomorrow when you wake up in the morning. If you're going to work and gonna be around people that don't know Jesus or driving anywhere, right? Like have people forgotten how to drive? This is the question I have. But you're gonna need to remember this is who Jesus is and this is what he's done on my behalf. I can live out an obedient life. I can live out a love as we're about to get to. See, Paul shows us how to do this. So he, he sandwiches like, this is who Jesus is, this is what he's done, and then he goes into complete my joy, which is interesting. That Paul wants them to know like how they live brings him joy and finds a completion. That they, this amazing church that is in Philippi, Paul still wants to see them go further. 
and be more obedient and more in the body of Christ. And the truth is that for here. Like, man, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for how y'all love. I'm so thankful for how y'all serve, how obedient you are. But the reality is there is no such thing as a perfect church. And so there's always room to grow and move forward and move closer to Jesus. And I wanna call us into that. And so what Paul is really trying to hammer home here is this idea of unity. And we live in maybe the most divisive times. And we're seeing it not just in our society, in politics, but also happening within the church. Especially because we live in the South and there's churches everywhere. So you can find a church that fits exactly what you like and your preferences and when, and what happens if we're not careful, we start church hopping and church shopping till we find everything that we like. And we're missing what Christ has called us to. Now listen, I'm glad you're here. And I think that, that I think we're doing something pretty amazing and I think everyone's called to belong. And if, you, if this isn't the right fit, then we wanna bless you on the way to you finding your home. But I think at some point you have to lay down yourself and say, I, I submit to you, Jesus, and I love your church. That's not where I'm supposed to be going, but. <laughs> Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's interesting here, same mind, one mind. In the Greek, it literally means to be minded the same and be minded one. And if you read that, if you're not careful, it almost thinks that we should all act and think and believe exactly as everyone in the room does. And there are things that we absolutely should all be in agreement and believing, core doctrine. If we do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, God in full, that he was incarnate, born of the flesh, died a, or lived a perfect life, died a death that me and you deserved, is seated at the right hand of God, that is a close-handed doctrine, belief that we cannot waver on. And if you waver on it, we, do not, we no longer believe the Bible. But there are things that we're gonna have opinions on, right? Like not everyone has to have the same exact style of worship or building structure or structure of staff. And they can still love Jesus and we don't create these divisions and, and fractures over this idea, but we lean in and serve one another. In verse five, it says, have this mind and be minded this, and he's gonna go on later to show us who, uh, who Jesus is, the example of Jesus, to have this type of mindset is in Christ. But see, Paul is getting at this idea of being unified in the same mindset, or you could say the same attitude set. So it's not like, I'm not saying we all have to think politically the same. I'm not saying that we all have to think socioeconomically the same, or anything, or even how we parent our kids the same. But I am saying that we should have the same mindset of Christ and how we view unity and fight for one another and love one another and serve one another. And it has to be sandwiched in this, be of the same mind, be of one mind, of the same love. As we talked about a few weeks ago in the Greek, there's different language or different words for the word love that have different meanings. 
America, we just throw love out there and it's, I love milkshakes and I love my children. Some days I love milkshakes more than my children. I'm just kidding. But this word here in love is agape, which is what we read in, in chapter one, which is an unconditional, unmerited love. So Paul's saying, have this mind. If we wanna walk in gospel unity, it is only by the love of God. Example in Jesus. There's no way to walk in unity as a body if it's not driven by the love of Christ. Because let's face it, people are annoying. We laugh because we know it's true. And some of y'all think I'm annoying and that's fine. Some days I think I'm annoying. But my driving factor isn't how I feel about the person, it's how God has viewed them. So I can look past the things that annoy me or frustrate me or I just don't wanna be around and I can see them as someone more than what I see them. I can see them as a child of God, as someone that God agape loves. Unconditional, unmerited love. So he gives this idea. This is, this is the encouragement. This is who Christ is. Do this, and then leads into what you should not do. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. This is such a countercultural idea, right? Because we live in a society that says, go get yours, whatever it takes. Climb the corporate ladder, do whatever it takes. Be, it doesn't matter what happens behind you, make much of yourself. Make as much money, make as much fame, do whatever you can while the time you have because it's short. And Paul's saying that's, that's not what God's called us to. So in this verse, he gives a negative and bridges into how it can be possible. So the negative is no rivalry or conceit. Conceit literally translates into vain glory or empty glory. And if you, if you remember, it's similar to what we see in chapter one, right? Where Paul talks about those that preach a gospel from a wrong motive. And he's just like, it's fine, the gospel's proclaimed. And I'm, I'm like, no, 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 you should go after them. False God, or like a gospel from the wrong mindset is a wrong idea, right? In verse 15, it says, indeed, pre, uh, indeed, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. You see this idea of that there's people that preach Jesus so they can get a platform or get a pat on the back or they can make money. The reality is what we have to see is when it comes from this, it's always emptiness towards emptiness. When it's done out of selfishness, it's done because you feel empty and you feel like someone needs to approve of you and tell you you're awesome and put you on a platform. And then it always leads to emptiness because it's never enough. But Paul preaches from a place of fullness, being full and being filled with Christ, preaching towards the end where he will be glorified with Christ in the end. 
But one leads to fame in a moment, fleeting pleasure. And one leads to potential suffering. And this idea, if we're not careful, we could do this, even if it's never standing on a platform in front of people. We can do it in how we serve. We want people to see like, man, look how I serve. See how I held that door open? Did you see how I did whatever, you fill in the blank. And I get it, like I can get that moment, like I like to be told I did awesome. I don't, I won't receive it, because I don't know how to receive compliments, but at the end of the day, if I stand here, or any of our other pastors or staff stand here and preach a message to you because we want glory, we've missed it. And we want Jesus to be glorified in everything. So how do you do it? So how, how do I not live in selfish ambition and out of rivalry and out of conceit? Well, he goes on to say, but in humility, which is the idea of lowliness, gospel power breaking us and freeing us to Christ's mind. That's what the gospel did, right? When we heard the gospel and but, and God gave us faith to believe that it is true. It said, hey, you can't do it. There's nothing in you that's good enough, impressive enough to earn God's love. But hey, while you were a sinner, Christ died. While you were in your mess, not looking for him, Christ came and gave everything for you. Humility, I mean, Paul talks about in Galatians 2.20, for I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. This idea of Paul allows himself to see that he has been crucified, murdered, that who he was in Christ, dead and gone. And the power that lives in him now is Christ. The resurrected power. And this, this is the only way to walk humbly. This is the only way that you're gonna walk in, humble, uh, in a humble attitude towards the people around you, to those that love Jesus but might get on your nerves, to the people that quite have, have not yet heard the gospel. And then he goes on the positive. So in humility is what drives us to be able to regard uh, or it says in humility count others more significant than yourselves to regard people is more significant, not saying they're, they're more talented in a skill or even better in morality, but to see that they are of utmost importance to God. Man, you ever been like in a restaurant or walking through the grocery store and you just feel this prompting in your spirit to talk to someone? And usually that person is someone that's like, I would never speak to them. I don't want, like, what? That's just weird, God. But what if we did count more people, or count people as more significant than ourselves, more significant than our time schedule, our agenda, our comfort? What if we saw them as, as Christ sees them, people to be served and to be loved? See, we can regard others more significant than ourselves because we. No, we're not entitled. We're not entitled to anything. We're not, we, we have not had earned anything. We have not been people that deserve anything. Truly gospel people. Understand, we're not entitled to anything. 
We, we've done nothing to deserve anything, which we have to understand is 100% in the face of what Americans believe. Well, if you feel this way, then you should have that. Right, everyone gets a trophy. You didn't do anything. You picked flowers on the field, but here's a trophy that says how awesome you are. You do, but when we understand that we don't, we have not earned anything or deserved anything, service is natural because we're not the point. If we wanna walk in gospel unity, serving one another and loving one another and seeing the kingdom of God go, like we, we believe in building the kingdom of God by saturating the world. If we wanna see that take place, we have to understand we're not the point. We talk about as a staff, what if God wants to use us but never makes Chest Mountain Church name known anywhere? Like no one realizes it's happening. It's just happening. What if no one like ever knows who Brandon Bridge Farmer is? Praise God. They probably don't need to know. It is, we are not the point humility. Francis Chan says this, this virtue had a negative connotation in Greek thought carrying with it the notion of a slave, but Christians elevated it rightly as the soil of all virtue. This idea of humility in the Greek thought, first century thought would have been only those that are slaves, only those that have no freedom, that only serve, that is their main job. It is countercultural to see others and think of them first. But the Christians understood that this is where all virtue grows from. We wanna be a people of God that God uses greatly, then we must be a humble people. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man that he will be the most, uh, what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarly person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed to be cheerful, intelligent chap, who took a real interest in what you said to them. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And you know when you meet someone that embodies humility. Like they're just, just engaging. Like they're looking at your soul. You know those people? Like you're talking to him, it's like stop staring at my soul. Like, stop being so interest, interested in me. Like, just, and they're just, like, they're never talking about themselves. They're, they just wanna know how you are. They remember things about you and bring and encourage you. John Stott says this, at every stage of Christian development and every sphere of Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. And this is the war that you're raging to walk in a way that says, hey, I love and I wanna serve people. I wanna serve the body of Christ no matter how I think about them, how I feel, how they act, where they're from, what they look like. We have to crush pride and live in humility. And how do you do this? You remember who Jesus is. You remember who, what he's done. 
Like if you remind yourself, if you wake up every day and the first thing you do in the morning before you pick up your phone, before you do anything is remind yourself what Christ did on your behalf and my behalf, how he lived the perfect life, how he taught how to be holy and then died taking the full wrath of God upon himself and then resurrected that we might have new life. If you remind yourself of that, how in the world would we ever walk in pride? How would we ever walk around with our chest chest lifted high, like just boasting about how awesome we are? Because the only thing you did at the cross was was give the sin that was necessary for it. That's me. I bring nothing to the table that made God go, I need him. That short, fiery little man, need him. See, kingdom-shaped life, a cross-shaped life is not a life of saying, I wanna get more and do more. It's a life of descending and saying, I wanna humble myself before the cross and see, God, I don't deserve this, but you have loved me and and brought me into this and I wanna serve and I wanna give and I wanna love people the way that you love. Help me have a mind as my fellow brothers and sisters to see you for who you are and to see people as you see them. And think about this, this is like, if you struggle with this, you're in good company. James and John, two of the disciples of Jesus, in Mark 10, it's this account of them coming to Jesus, be like, hey Jesus, we wanna ask you something. While the other 10 disciples over there, we wanna ask you something. Hey, when we get to glory, can we sit on your right and left hand? Can we have this place of authority? The other disciples hear and they become frustrated with them, which of course, You would too. You're like, no, I deserve that. And Jesus says to him in verse 42, Jesus called called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be amongst you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about that in verse 45, just for a second. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for even the Son of Man, even Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If Jesus came not for people to serve him and tell him how awesome he is and just throw things at his feet, but came to serve So we see it in the upper room when he washes his disciples' feet, the lowliest of low jobs. Who are we to say, it's not like that job's below me or that activity or that person is below me. No, when we see that mindset that this is who Jesus is, then we see everyone is more significant than we see ourselves. We see how can we serve you? How can we outdo one another in service? And see, because I think one of the greatest mistakes we make as Christians, one of the greatest mistakes is we expect the crown before the cross. We expect glory before suffering. We expect to be elevated before we are humbled. But do we know that Jesus called us into suffering, that we would suffer? Suffering is not unusual. It is the normal, which in our culture, rubs against what we've been called to, right? 
comfort, get more, do more, have more. And I'm not saying having things or materials are bad, but it is not ultimate. Christ is ultimate. And if he humbled himself and served and took upon himself suffering so that we can know him, why would we not walk in suffering? Why do we think we're exempt from it? Luke 14 10, 11 says this, but if you are invited, talking about the wedding feast, if you're invited, go and sit at the lowest place. So when the host comes, he might say to your friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is countercultural. It's not making your, and sending so that you could be better. It's humbling yourself and in that Christ meets you. And it might never happen in this life. Like, are you okay if no one ever acknowledges what you do here? Like, if no one knows who you are, they just see Jesus in you and Jesus is made known through you. Like, at the end of my life, Pastor Greg was talking about this last week, the idea of living in that dash on your tombstone, like, what you do there matters more. Like I want at the end of my life people to be like, man, BB made much of Jesus. He loved people well. And I'm first to acknowledge, like my temper gets short really easy. People get on my nerves really quick. Not y'all, y'all are awesome. <laughs> y'all are the best. And this is something I had to fight with. And he goes on in the story in Luke 18 where there's the, uh, the Pharisees who are talking about this tax collector. And tax collectors weren't just people that, hey, you owed $5 in taxes and they took 10 and made themselves rich. No, they fueled a empire, a Roman army that ransacked cities. They were horrific people and no one liked them. They were miserable human beings. And we have this story, the Pharisees praying and the Pharisees are like, thank God I'm not like this tax collector. And then we see the tax collector's response, standing far off, he would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And, I, and Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the kingdom economy. It's not about making much of you, it's about making much of Jesus and submitting yourself low. I heard a pastor one time talk about like the foot of the cross, the ground's level. Like no one is in more need of the cross than the next person. Our sin, all of our sin placed Jesus there. So what else do you do but bow at the cross and beg for the mercy of God on your life and thank him that he pours it out over and over and over again. Verse four, let each of you look not to his own interests, but also, but also to the interests of others. Like not just taking care of self, but serving. So how do I look for people to serve? You are all, like you just have a lens of always seeing how can you serve people? How can you love people? How can you pour into people? How can you help people along the way? 
How can you think less of yourself and think more of people? You're always looking through the lens of how Jesus sees us. So what if that looks like tomorrow you wake up and say, Jesus, I need your eyes. Give me eyes to see the way that you see. And if you pray that prayer, humbly wanting God to do it, buckle up because you're going to see the world differently. Man, like what if we actually took foster care and adoption seriously and saw that God sees it? Do you think God's okay with there being 12,000 kids in foster care right now who could bounce around from homes? Some of them have never been told I love you or felt love and their God in heaven loves them. Like what if we saw people the way that Christ sees them? What, What if it started with seeing yourself the way that Christ sees you? How would you serve if that was the mindset? 1 Corinthians 13, I wanna read this real quick. and says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all away that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So even if you lay your life down, even if you do these incredible things, you live this radical life that is not fueled by agape love, by the love of God, you are nothing because it comes from selfishness and selfish ambition. The motive is wrong. And then he goes on, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, embracing the powerlessness of your life, that you can't do anything in of yourself and living out the humility of Christ, this is where Christ will exalt you in the end where you become a co-heir with him in heaven. And seeing that he laid it all down that you can live out this life. The question has to be like, how are you seeking this? Like, are you trying to live in unity with one another? Are you trying to live in gospel unity? And to have to ask the question of, what are you focusing on? Is it you? Or is it Christ? Is it others' opinions? Or is it the motivation and the example of Jesus? Because listen, the only thing you need to know is Christ is the example, he is the power, and he is the answer. But I think you have to understand what he's called you to. Because it's a radical calling on our life. And it's not to those that just are on staff or lead in certain ministries. It is for the call on the believer. I wanna read some passages and then we're gonna close. But this is what Christ calls us to. I want us to feel the weight of it. Luke 9, 23 through 27 says, and he said to all of them, Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and of him the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, 
There are some standing here who will not taste death, death until they see the kingdom of God. Luke 9, the cost of following Jesus. And the, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to them, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another, he said, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to them, let the de leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You hear the radicalness of what Christ has called us to? This total abandonment of who we are for his name? Luke 14, he goes into the talk about the cost of discipleship. Now the great crowds accompanied him and turned and said to him, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? It is costly to follow Jesus. And you have not been called into something that says, say yes to Jesus and everything will be better and easier. You have been called to say, follow Jesus and he will give you life and life abundantly. And what the standards of this world offer will not satisfy, but he gives you eternal satisfaction. For 10,000 years and forevermore, we will be in the presence of Jesus and that is sufficient I want you to pursue gospel unity with Christ being the motivation, but I want us to count the cost. I want you to understand that the call in your life is to lay it down and live humbly with one another as you pursue Jesus. You see one another differently. I'm gonna read this passage. I think Pastor Brian's gonna preach on it next week. But I, it's the motivation for why. I just wanna read it over you. It's not gonna be on the screens. And then we're gonna close. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being, in the born, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every, now, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the example. And this is what Jesus has done on your behalf and my behalf that he became obedient and took the Father's wrath on himself for you and for me and has called us to live in this. So we pursue unity at all costs. Because we're not the point. Christ is the point. And so this morning, I think there's two people in the room. I think we all who are followers of Jesus in some shape or fashion have some repenting to do. I know I have. I know that this message has raked me over the coals. And there might be someone we need to apologize to or just start seeing people differently. Regardless of what they think in the opinions of the world. Like, are we really gonna die on those hills? 
So maybe we need to get in the altar and ask God to forgive us and to restore and give us new eyes. And potentially there's someone in the room that's never, that has never truly counted the cost and wants to follow Jesus because it's better. Because he has done what only he can do. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.